0: Money FM 89.3, the best of the breakfast huddle. And we are back with Professor Benjamin Horton, who is uh, the head of the Earth Observatory Singapore and professor at Nanyang Technological University. New documentary out called Polar Impact Asia. Ben, great to have you with us again here on Money FM. Good morning, everyone. Hey, you sound good. You know, we, we're having trouble getting your picture up, but, but the, the voice is good and strong. So that's going for us. We got that. We got that going for us. <laughs> All right, Ben, your new documentary, Polar Impact Asia, is just amazing. Uh, Neil and I have both seen it. Give us a give us a quick overview of the, the high level why people should or what they're going to see when they watch this.
1: Well, the Arctic is the fastest warming place on the planet. So it really is the front line for climate change. And here in Singapore, well, we're very, very susceptible to rising sea levels and rising temperatures. So if you want to understand climate change, you have to try and get global partners. So the underlying mission of this was to try and create um, interchanges and collaboration with Norwegian scientists in studying the Arctic and studying Singapore.
0: It is a, a fantastic documentary. Now, you spent time up in Norway in, I believe it was May of this year, um, at, a, at a, a research center there. Tell us about that, because that is really the basis of your of your new documentary, Polar Impact Asia.
1: Yeah, so we, we were in um, the most northern settlement on planet Earth called Longvian, which is in Svalbard, Um, um, an island archipelago very, very close to the North Pole. And as I just said, this area is warming faster than anywhere else on the planet. It's warming at about, so if we look at um, global average temperatures, over the last 100 years or so, global average temperatures have gone up around 1 degree C. But in the Arctic, they, and, and particularly around Svalbard, they've gone up around 3 degrees C, or three times the global average. And that has significant impacts because there are many, many processes in the Arctic that influence... Not only people in the Arctic nations, but also impact every single person on the planet, including people here in Singapore.
2: Yeah. And before we get into those impacts, I was fascinated by your anecdotal observations when you actually spoke to members of the Arctic community who are seeing this, literally seeing it firsthand every day in their own backyard. What were some of the observations or memories that they gave you that stood out for you, Ben? Well, I mean, that relates
1: to climate change. So when I got into the topic 25 or so years ago, it was all about projections of Mm. what would happen to climate if we didn't reduce the amount of greenhouse gases. Now we're seeing an increasing number of people throughout the globe who have first-hand experience of extreme weather events, be it droughts or wildfires, flooding or tropical cyclones. And for a region that's warming the fastest on the planet if you meet people who have lived there for decades it's quite they they feel it they they see their environment changing so you know i in the documentary film i spoke to the previous ambassador for Norway that was based here in Singapore and and she's from the high arctic and she talked about her father's generation and her generation and about how it's affected the reindeer herds and the fact that they Mm. struggle because of the melting of the permafrost in winter to move across the ground conversely when I was in Svalbard they talked to me about the increase in the number of polar bears that are found on land because the melting of the sea ice has meant that they can't provide their diet in the open ocean. But there's an increasing number of reindeer on the island because the permafrost has melted and there's grass being produced. And so the polar bears actually come onto land. And when I was there, everybody who is outside has to carry a gun. So, when we were there, we had to. One of the things that we did is when we were in the research station, there's one single bar on the island. And we went from the research station to the bar, but we had to have an armed escort. We were not allowed outside on our own without having wow. an armed escort because there are so many more polar bears. And so, these are the rapid changes in the environment that people see firsthand.
0: Mm. We're talking uh, with a our, our, our good friend of the show, Professor Ben Horton, the director of the Earth Observatory of Singapore and also a professor at NTU. Ben, this new documentary, Polar Impact Asia, does a couple of things for me, which is really show very clearly the impact of the currents. Uh, and you describe that very clearly about how the water circulates from the cold uh, latitudes down to uh, our part of the world where it warms up and then and it has this kind of circular motion to it that keeps the planet balanced. But the other thing you talk about is gravity, and how because of our position uh, at uh, at the equator that the height of sea level change will impact us more. I don't know if you want to take those one at a time or or choose which one is is more uh, interesting or salient to you. But I, I, those two things really stood out to me, things that I, I wasn't really aware of.
1: Well, the Arctic um, influences people on the planet in uh, three ways. First of all, it's the refrigerator of our planet. Mm. So the Arctic has Ice sheets in Greenland, it has sea ice um, in the ocean areas, and it has um, snowfall or glaciers on the highland areas of the Arctic. And ice reflects incoming solar radiation. So it keeps, it acts as a refrigerator. The North Pole should always be cold. But the problem with climate change is that you're melting Greenland ice sheet, you're melting significantly the sea ice, and you're melting your glaciers and snowfall. And that means instead of uh, sunlight being reflected so when sunlight hits ice or snow about 90% of it is reflected back out into space and does not warm up planet earth but when you melt that you for example the sea ice is replaced by open water instead of 90% being reflected 70% is absorbed so this is a positive feedback if you warm temperatures you melt the ice you warm temperatures our planet even more you melt the ice, you warm temperatures even more. So that's one aspect. The second aspect relates to, relates to your first comment, is that um, the Arctic is where we have the sort of epicentre of what's called the, glow, um, the, the thermohaline circulation. And this transports heat from the tropics to the poles. So water warm to just try describe it to you. Water warms up in the Gulf of Mexico, driven by solar radiation, and then a very very warm current goes from the Gulf of Mexico around the tip of Florida. It hugs the. Um, the U.S. coastline to around North Carolina and then makes its way out towards Norway. And this is a big current. It has enough water within it any one point in time, combined in excess of all the rivers on our planet. I mean, it is a huge volume of water that is transported up to Norway. So when it formed in the Gulf of Mexico, it was warm. And then the warm water evaporates. So the water becomes slightly cooler, but becomes much, much more salty. And then when it's around Svalbard where I was, the water is saltier than any water around it and therefore it's denser and it sinks, and it sinks to the bottom of the ocean floor in the North Atlantic, and then it is transported all the way to Antarctica, hmm. where it meets other cold, salty water, and it upwells around Antarctica, creating the huge biological hotspot that is there that the whales feed, feed upon the krill. It then migrates this water to the Indian Ocean, indeed, to the um, South China Sea, we have warm pools here and then makes its way across the tip of South Africa and back into the Gulf Stream. This is called the thermohaline circulation. It takes around 400 years for any particle of water to move from Norway and return there. And it transports heat around our planet.
0: Mm. Now, the problem if, is- I was just going to say, if anybody has any trouble imagining what that actually looks like it's it's beautifully depicted in the documentary you've done a great graphic that that shows it very clearly
1: yeah i mean it because it's so important i mean this current has been transporting heat around our planet for millions of years but it has a problem it's driven by salinity around the arctic so if you lower that salinity the current shuts down and how do you lower salinity you melt the Greenland ice sheet. The Greenland ice sheet is the second largest reserve of fresh water on our planet. Melting icebergs out of Greenland come into contact with the thermohaline and they can shut it down. The impact of shutting down the thermohaline um, current was depicted in a variety of um, feature films. I Mm. mean, it causes potentially a 10 to 20 degrees C change in temperature in the mid-latitudes in less than 50 years. It's catastrophic. It's happened in the geological past. The last time is approximately 14,000 years ago. So we know it occurs. And we are approaching a tipping point. So the scientific community, and this gets all to COP26, COP27 that recently happened in Egypt, the scientific community stated that the probability of that current shutting down, if you keep your temperatures below 1.5 degrees C above pre-industrial values, is very, very unlikely. Mm. You cross 1.5 degrees C. Indeed, if you cross 2 degrees C, it becomes probable. So we're playing around with climate change in a current that stabilises our climate. You yeah. disrupt that climate, the world is in a
2: catastrophic collapse. Civilization across the whole planet would struggle. Magnificent and vitally important documentary, Polar Impact Asia. Ben, let's bring it back to the rising sea levels, which we we're about to talk about, and how they have a ca- catastrophic direct impact impact on Singapore because of its position on the on the equator tell us a bit about that
1: well the prime minister of singapore stated in 2019 that sea level rise is an existential threat and there are a variety of reasons for that the first is well let's look at singapore around a third of the island is less than one meter above the highest tides so we're a low-lying island we've got nowhere to go here the second fact is if we look at observational records and we compare them with geological records the rate of sea level rise let's say if you were to look out at at marina bay right now the rate of sea level rise is faster now than at any time in the last four thousand years we are going up really really quick why is that well Part of it is due to warming ocean temperatures. So if you warm the temperature of oceans on our planet, water occupies a greater volume and sea level goes up. But the second aspect is the melting of ice. In the 20th century, it was dominated by melting of glaciers. So alpine glaciers, glaciers in Alaska or in the Andes, and that contributed to sea level. But in the last 30 years, which has really accelerated the rate of sea level rise, it's our ice sheets. And so to bring it home to Singapore, if we've got a third of our island that's only one metre above the highest tides, we have enough freshwater locked up in our ice sheets in Greenland and Antarctica to raise global sea levels by 70 metres.
0: Yeah, That's fantastic. So, you only
1: need to <laughs> melt a small percentage of that ice sheet, and Singapore is lost, and all of the low lying coastal nations are lost. And when we talked about observations of actually what is happening in the Arctic right now, so the Greenland ice sheet is melting faster and faster. So, the Greenland ice sheet went from dumping around 51 billion tons of ice into the oceans between 1980 and 1990 it's gone up fivefold. It now dumps around 286 billion tonnes of ice into the oceans between 2010 and 2018. So I tried to think about how I could put this into context for your listeners. So that means that each individual year in Greenland, about 75 trillion gallons of water from just Greenland Mm. goes into the ocean. So what does that... So try and get that into your head. That's about the size, if you think about an Olympic-sized swimming pool. So we have one of these on NTU. That's Mm. about the size of around 120 million (laughs) Olympic-sized swimming pools going into the oceans each year. And then I tried to think about something else. So I thought about, right, okay, swimming pools. Who's the most famous swimmer in Singapore, schooling, who Mm. won their gold medal? Mm. So if he had to swim... All of those swimming pools, the 115 million swimming pools, (laughs) at his Olympic gold medal (laughs) speed, it would take him 190 years. (laughs) That just, the amount of water going into our oceans is catastrophic. And Greenland Mm. has the susceptibility to go into catastrophic meltdown. Again, it goes back to the Paris Agreement, COP26, COP27. The climate community is absolutely phenomenal. So we've told governments for 30 years that CO2 is going to cause catastrophic problems to the planet. We now also know what the tipping point is. So we've said, right, you go above 1.5 degrees C. You go above 2 degrees C. You get processes that were are very improbable, that keep our... Um, civilization stable, and then they become probable, and you destroy civilization. You go above two degrees C, the Greenland ice sheet goes into catastrophic meltdown. Yeah, yeah. And you cannot, you cannot reverse it. Mm. There's no vaccine, it's not the pandemic. You cannot reverse it. If you cause Greenland to go into catastrophic meltdown, it takes 100,000 years. To regrow it. To
2: bring it back. Yeah. yeah. And just on that point, so, Professor yeah. Horton, sorry to interrupt, but we are against the clock. Many of the comments we've got coming in are along those lines timelines. When is this going to happen? How long will it take to affect Singapore? On your documentary, I think you mentioned 600 million people, if I'm not wrong, in this part of the world will be inundated by rising seas by the end of the century. What do the timelines look like for this part of the world? And what can and should happen next? Well, again,
1: it depends what scenario you are on. So sea level will always rise now. So we've locked in CO2 in the atmosphere. So one of the problems with carbon dioxide is that the, the temperature that we receive on our planet this year isn't the result of the carbon dioxide this year. It's a cumulative increase. Carbon dioxide stays in the atmosphere for around 400 years. So the temperature that we're receiving is the result of the carbon dioxide emissions from the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. So sea level will always rise. So low-lying nations such as Singapore are going to have to adapt to sea level rise, whether we have a low emission future or a high emission future. If we look at the ne- the second thing that I would say, if you look at the next 30 years, it's what I would call scenario independent. The pick of what happens to do whether you're a high or low emission is only really felt at the end of the century. So we can be quite confident in what the values of sea level rise will be by 2050, somewhere in the order of around 25 or so centimetres, low or high emissions. When you get down towards the end of the century, it depends whether the government's keep to sea level being um, within the Paris Agreement, keeping temperatures below 2 degrees C, and then you get a sea level rise rate of around 40 centimetres here in Singapore. Um, but if you keep to high emissions that cause the destabilisation of the ice sheet, you get sea level rise at the end of this century here in Singapore of around 1.2 metres. And if you look early in the twenty um, um, second century, somewhere like 2130, in about 100 years' time, you could have sea levels of five metres. I remember my earlier point yeah. that a third of this island is only one metre above sea level. So they're the sort of numbers that you're dealing with. So that's why it's so very important to keep to the Paris Agreement. Magnitude, the one thing I would like to add is that magnitudes of sea level, well, you can think, well, that's 40 centimetres or one metre or five metres. Oh, surely we can build a seawall that high. It's the rates that always concern me. Under a high emission future, we get rates of sea level rise in excess of seven millimetres within about 20 years. Now, why I say this is because the Earth Observatory of Singapore produced a landmark paper last year that stated that all the corals all the mangroves and all the salt marshes drown in place if sea level goes above seven millimetres per year. Mm. So you lose that whole ecosystem. So again, it's this key about that we have to act on climate change.
0: Yeah, absolutely. number of people
1: affected, um, you know, under a high emission future, about a billion people on our planet, 70% of them are in Southeast Asia. There yeah. you
0: go. The numbers are staggering and I really want to encourage everybody to check out the yes. Polar Impact Asia documentary. Just Google it. It will take you right to the Earth Observatory page and the documentary. Uh, it's a 30-minute long uh, documentary, but it really explains all of this stuff in detail and, and what exactly is happening and the science behind it. Ben, thank you so much for being with us today. As always, we learned so much from you and are inspired to try to do better for this, uh, for this v- very fragile planet that we're on. Professor Ben Horton, director of the Earth Observatory of Singapore. Appreciate your time today, Ben. Thank you very much. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio
2: app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.